Amen. Welcome to the church of 1122. We are a fledgling little church, not little, but fledgling church. We're about four, a little over four years old, and so uh, I guess that's important for you to know. And about a year ago, we stepped into the biggest thing God has ever called us to do, which is this, before all things, discipleship journey. And now, a year later, we find ourselves, you know, at the halfway point, and we are studying the book of Colossians, every single word in it from the beginning to the end of that book. It's not very long. Uh, so if you got your Bibles, go find that. Colossians, and then also you got a book when you walked in, and I know about 99% of you were faithful and took this home last week, just like you were instructed to, but there's always that one, and you were just disobedient to the Lord and me. So uh, if, if, if you need one, raise your hand, we'll give you one right now. If you didn't get one on the way in, you're going go to go to page 28. And so a part of what the Before All Things uh, initiative was all about is we were going to plant more campuses and, and take the gospel into neighborhoods where our people already are. And so last weekend, we planted our Mandarin campus, and we opened the doors for the very first time. So we'll say, welcome to the Mandarin campus. And I will have you know, it was sold out packed on the very first day. Uh, there was about 1,200 people there. So praise God for that. Amen. And then also, uh, Bay Meadows, our pioneer of campusing, that was our first campus that we ever did. It, there were over 1,000 people at, at that campus also. And so, um, uh, the, the Mandarin campus is an old Lutheran church, and then the, the Bay Meadows campus is at an old sports bar. So, where people used to just go get drunk, now they get drunk in the Lord, you know? So, it's great. It's great. And then uh, things right here at Walmart are still doing pretty good. Uh, last, last weekend... In total, all of our campuses and locations and services and sanctuary and all of that together, there were about 8,600 people in attendance at the Church of 1122, all right? Amen. Now, I know the only people that like big churches are the, pe the preachers, <laughs> and that's about our insecurity, but here's why we mention those numbers, because every one of those numbers have a name, and every one of those names have a story, and Jesus died for every single one. And so we are consistently trying to partner with you to reach the people that you love and the people that Jesus loves so much that he died on the cross for. So that is what that is all about. And so what we're going to talk about today as we continue in the study of the book of Colossians is we're going to talk about um, this, this principle of preeminence or this principle of the first. And it is foundational to your understanding of who God is and the gospel itself. So if you found Colossians, if you hadn't yet, keep, keep searching. We're going to be there for 14 weeks. It'll be important for you to find it. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 15 to 20 once again. I know you've heard it three times already in the service maybe. I would really like to challenge you varsity level Christians here to memorize these verses. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20. It goes like this. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Underline the word firstborn. It's very important. We'll come back to it. The firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. In other words, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is first. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So here's a part of what it means, the principle of the first. Here, here's how it impacts you and me. It ain't about you. It ain't. It ain't about you. And that should bring you great relief. Because when you have that kind of Copernicus moment and you realize the whole universe does not revolve around you and me, then you can exhale and actually let yourself off the mat for a second. 
And the stars don't have to align to give you everything that you ever wanted and needed for you to have purpose and meaning in your life because it ain't about you. Now, Jesus is for you. It's just not about you. And both of those things are true and good news. Do you know how I know he's for you? Because if he dies for you, then he's for you. But even his death and resurrection is not about you because all things, even you, you were created through him and for him. And, verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There we go. So twice, Paul wants us to know that he's firstborn at creation, and he's firstborn among the dead. In other words, from cover to cover, it's all about Jesus. From creation to consummation, it's all about Jesus. Now, when it says firstborn, it does not mean that he was born first. Because he just established that everything that has been made was made by him and through him and for him. So he was not made. He has eternally existed. So when it says firstborn, it doesn't mean he's born first. It, it is a title of position. Uh, the Greek word is prototoko. Prototo obviously, you already knew that. But uh, it means prototoko. It's where we get the word prototype. That Jesus is the prototype of the resurrection of the dead. Here's what this means. If Boeing is going to come out with a new jet, they make a prototype. And when the prototype works, the first one goes first, and then they build a whole bunch of copies of that prototype. Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. He is the, he is the prototype of the resurrection of the dead, and he's the first and so far only one that has ever conquered sin and death and been resurrected to never die again. Other people have died and come back to life, say Lazarus, but guess what happened? They died again. You know how you know Lazarus is not, didn't live on forever? Anybody seen him at Publix lately? No, he gone, he dead, all right? And so Jesus is the firstborn among the dead or the prototype, which means this, for every single person who declares or believes that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's before all things, that when he died on the cross, he counted for you, then one day we will be made in his image like him and we will be brought up out of the grave to spend forever with him in an incorruptible body because he is firstborn from the dead. You see, this matters. That in everything he might be preeminent. Not just first in order, but first in importance. That in everything, in your dating life, he is before all things. In your career, he is preeminent. In your marriage, he is first. In your finances, he is preeminent. In every single thing, your hobbies, whatever it is, your social life, your work life, your online life, that in everything, he might be preeminent. Four, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In other words... If Jesus is not first place in your life, no matter how you order your entire life, your whole life is out of order. You can move the pieces around all you want to, but if he is not in his rightful place of preeminence, of first, then your entire life is out of order. You see, there's just a whole lot of things that God either can't do or won't do. I don't know the difference. I just know that he will not act outside of his character and nature. So let me tell you, let me tell you what's never happened in all of eternity. God has never, never, ever gone, you know what I just thought of? That never happened. Why? Because he's omniscient. He knows all things at all times. Why is that important to you? Because you've never surprised him. 
He's never looked at you on a Friday night and went, what in the name of me is she doing? Never. Because he knew before he purchased you all the sin that he was going to pay for. That he knew. Which also means he could never be disappointed in you. Because disappointment is about unmet expectations. And God knew exactly what he was getting when he got you. Also, um, God never changes. It's called the immutability of God. He never changes. Because if God could change, then if he could change to get better, that means that that would eliminate him from being perfect and holy and just now because he's got some room to grow. And if he changes and got worse, then he wouldn't even hold up to his own standard of perfection. Therefore, God never changes, which is good news for you and me. What if God changed his mind about you? Like one day in a service, you raise your hand, you surrender your life to Christ, and then next year at Georgia-Florida game, he goes, I don't think so, Scooter, give that back. That is not how it works. God will never overlook sin. At no point will he just be like, oh, come here, let's just hug it out, okay? Just don't worry about it. It's not that bad. No, 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 no. That, that he poured out the full wrath of himself on sin, on his son, on the cross. And God will never be second. He just doesn't do second. He doesn't do leftovers. Why? Because he is preeminent. I have a prophetic warning for everybody, everybody in all of our campuses and locations. Jesus will be first in your life. He will either be first as savior or first as judge. Here's your options. You can bow or you can bow. That's how this thing goes down. That he is preeminent and it matters Understanding the principle of preeminence is crucial to our understanding of the gospel. Again, because without God being first in your life, then your life will never be in order. And now what we're going to do, Southern Baptist, you're going to feel at home if you grew up doing sword drills. And if you don't know what a sword drill is, God bless you. We're so glad you're here. You're the reason we build a church like this. Okay. And so I'm going to go through, I really don't, 20 scriptures maybe from the very beginning to the very end, so that you will see this principle of preeminence is foundational for us to understand who God is and what he's done for us. So it starts with this. God is first. God is first. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That God did not have a beginning. Before there was a beginning, there was God. See, he is first. And then when you get down to verse 26, God says, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. The fact that God is first matters a lot. And it's very important to understand the triune nature of God. Hang with me here, okay? But you're 1122. Put on your big boy theological pants and let's go. That, that God is one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have coexisted from eternity past to eternity future. And here's why that matters. You see, God in and of himself had no need. He was in a perfect love relationship with God's self. And God was both the subject and object of God's love for God's self. And that's where we came from. And if you don't understand that perfect love relationship among God, then you, I don't think people intended this, but the way God was described to me when I was growing up, God kind of sounded like a single girl on Valentine's Day just going, please love me. And that he, he just was so kind of lonely up in heaven with all that space and time. He said, oh, I have an idea. I'll create disobedient children to sing me songs on the weekend and not, not act like it Monday through Friday. That's what I'll do. 
And see, and if you do that, then you think that God somehow owes you something. But the preeminence of God tells us that he is first. And God, in and of himself, was a perfect love relationship, submitted to himself. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then, out of God's love for God's self, it spilled out onto the canvas of creation. And that's how you and I were created in his image so that we could give and receive love. You see, the firstness of God matters. John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then when you get to verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, Jesus the Christ was preeminent before all things, that God is first. And because God is first, God went first. You know why God went first? He went first because he is first. God always acts in, in conjunction with his character in nature. Do you know why God loves you? It ain't about you. It's about him because God is love, therefore he loves. Do you know why God judges us? It, that's not also not about you. He's not ticked off in heaven because you did something wrong, but he is holy and just, therefore he acts in holiness and injustice. And do you know why God pursues you? It ain't about you. It's because he is first. And so in his firstness, he is the initiator. Romans 5, 8 says it this way. But God, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you, know, do you know what good news that is? Here's what it, it, it means, that he's not waiting on you to be a better version of you before you would be acceptable unto him. That God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, before you ever made a New Year's resolution, before you ever came to church two Sundays in a row, before you ever sponsored a kid, went on a mission trip, quit cussing so much, tried to tone down the drinking during the week, whatever your New Year's resolution is, okay? Before any of that, before you prayed a prayer, before you sang a song, before any of that, he demonstrated once and for all his love for you. He went first. He is not in love with some future version of you because he is first. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Did you know, even if you don't know God, the only reason you can love somebody else is because God's love first came to us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, not the other way around, not for the world so loved God that he owed us his only begotten son. That is not how it works. For God so loved the world first that he gave his only begotten son Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. God is first. God went first. Therefore, we are to put God first in our lives. And this, that response to the firstness of God is called worship. Worship are not just the three songs that we sing the first 22 minutes of the service. Okay? Some of you aren't aware of that. We sing three songs at the beginning of the service. You should come check it out sometime. That would be awesome. Okay? No problem. So... Worship is just our response with our entire life. Not just in, not just in singing, for sure. That this, is, this is kind of a special thing that God created so that we could all join our voices together as a church and make much of him, no doubt. But also the way we live and the way we treat each other. What we are supposed to do is to respond by putting God first and we are responding to his firstness. This lawyer comes up to Jesus in, in, in the book of Matthew, verse 22. And he says, all right, Jesus, there's like 600 and something uh, laws in the Old Testament. Some of them make a lot of sense, don't murder. 
That sounds like a good one. Don't steal. Also a good one. Some are kind of random. Don't shave your sideburns. All right, that's weird. But of all of them, what was the most important commandment? And here's how Jesus answers. You shall, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment is what he says. This is first. Because God is first, because God went first, because God loves first. We respond by first, putting him first in our life. And then Jesus kind of tacks on another one. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Tomorrow is MLK Day. This is Dr. King's message. This was it. It was rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did not say that we should treat one another with dignity because it would be better for society. It just seems like a good thing to do. We've evolved into it. It was rooted in his understanding of the firstness of God and God first loved us by sending his best in Jesus Christ and Jesus died for every race and every color and every creed and every person and you never come eyeball to eyeball with somebody that does not matter to God. And so when God is first in your life, then you treat everybody else with the same love that God has treated you with. This was his message rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Which, by the way, is why we as a church are a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus died for all people. So God is first, God went first, and therefore we are to put God first. Everybody's on track so far, right? Everybody's feeling good. Oh, yeah, that's good. Man, God first, and it ain't about me. Ooh, this is good. Preach on, brother. Here's the part where you get uncomfortable. Ready? It's coming quick. What you do with money exposes what's first in your heart. Now, let me warn you. If, if I were you, I would not get up and go to the bathroom because people are going to think you're a greedy pig if you get up and leave right now. So you better hold it, okay? Just hang in there. People get uncomfortable when you're talking about money at church. And I need you to know that according to Jesus, he says, he says that what you do with money exposes what is most important in your life. And so what I'm going to do for the next 34 minutes and 55, 54, 53 seconds, I'm going to talk about God and money. And at the end of the service, I'm not going to ask you to do a thing different than we do at any other service. Not a thing different. Because I want you to just relax, exhale, and be able to hear what Jesus says about the number one competitor for your heart. If you go to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest recorded sermon of Jesus. And in that sermon, he talks more about money than anything else in the sermon. In the beginning of chapter 6, he talks about um, how to feed the poor and how to fast and how to pray. And basically what he is saying is, when you do that, don't make much of you, make much of God. Because this is about God, this is not about you. And then in verse 19, he shifts gears and he says... Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, what he's saying is, why would you invest all your money in the things on this earth? Because you're acting like you're a citizen of this kingdom. But if you're in Christ, you're a citizen of that kingdom. So you should be storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not so much treasures here on earth. It would be like um, if, if I pulled into the Holiday Inn Express and I walked into my room and I was just staying for the weekend 
And I just was like, man, we got to do something about this. I mean, the carpet smells nasty, and I'm not staying on those bed sheets, okay? And so I called up Home Depot, and I said, I need some, I need some hardwood floors in here, and I want granite countertops over here in the kitchenette, and I cannot eat out of a yellow refrigerator. It's only silver for me and my family. And I don't like this flat window. I want to bump this thing out to a bay window at the Holiday Inn Express. Even the people at the counter would be like, we appreciate your upgrades, but what are you doing? I mean, why would you invest so much for a place that you're only going to be here for a minute? That's what Jesus is saying. When we put all our treasures here, because you realize this, you realize none of it's yours. Like, you think you own stuff. What do you own? There, There are no trailer hitches on a hearse. Everything you have in a pretty short amount of time compared to eternity your kid's going to be going through it. But look at mom in her mom jeans with a nine-inch zipper. That's crazy, all right? They'll be holding it up. Some of it they're going to throw away. Some of it they're going to burn. And the little bit of junk that was decent, we're going to sell it at Hope's Closet. That's your life. So Jesus is saying, so why would you invest everything into right now? Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, most of us think it's the other way around. Most of us think, no, 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 no. Uh, my, my, my heart goes first and my treasure follows. And Jesus is like, no, that's not how it works. Your treasure goes first and your heart follows. It's easy. If you buy a bunch of stock, which stocks do you check on? The one that you've invested in. If I came over to your seat right now and took your wallet and just walked around the service, guess who you would not take your eyes off for the rest of the service? What's the brother going to do with my wallet? All right, you'd be all into the sermon like never before. The best example I've ever seen of this 2003, I moved here to work for Pastor Jerry Sweat, my pastor, the pastor at Beach Church. And uh, he was the best Christian I've ever met, still is. Uh, but nobody's perfect. And he had this one fatal flaw back in 03. Ready? He was a Gator fan. Okay? So nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. People can change. That's what we believe about the gospel. And so he did. He loved it. He was, he was you know, tried and true in the orange and blue and to get up and go and all that goofy junk. And when he clapped, his arms didn't work. However, I can't make it. You know, that thing. And then... You know what happened? His oldest two, I think all three of them, I know his oldest two graduated. They, as they sought after the Lord to walk in step with the will of God, they did not go to Gainesville. They went to Tallahassee. They went that way. They went to Florida State, okay? I don't care. I'd go to Athens with Jesus, but that's fine. So, so you know what happened? Every month, for years, for one of them, I think it was about five or six, but for years, every Every semester, Pastor Jerry and his wife, Denise, would write a check, and it did not go to Gainesville. It went to Tallahassee. And not overnight, but over time, this thing started going, what's happening? (laughs) Didn't even know I had that thing. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is what Jesus is saying. By the way, you need to hear this. God does not come to us in financial need. He needs nothing from you. If he wanted all your stuff, he could squish you right now and just take it. You can leave it all behind anyway. But you know what he wants? He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And he understands that the number one competitor for your heart is treasure. And so he goes on to say in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And you're like, what in the heck does that have to do with anything? Here's what this means. You ever be walking through a store and, and you don't even know that you needed something until you saw that something? You ever do that? You're like, man, sorry, I don't need nothing in this store. And you see this thing, and you're like, how have I lived without this? 
Or even better yet, you know that moment when you decide you're going to get a new car? Like on Tuesday, your car's fine, man. Your car's fine. Yeah, the window doesn't quite roll all the way down, and when you turn left, it goes, like the whales are mating, you know, and you're like, that's that's just my car. French fries in the back, been there six years, you know, no problem. I don't know why they don't deteriorate. That's That's a different sermon, okay? There they are. You're totally cool with it until the moment you're like, I think I'm gonna get a new car. And then you go look at a car, and when you get back in your car, you'll be like, I hate my car. And my car is sorry. And you've never seen, you've never once seen the model of the new car that you want until after you decide you want it. And at every stoplight in Jacksonville, it's at all four corners in your favorite color. You're like, what is this? This is what Jesus is talking about. Pay attention to what you pay attention to. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. By the way, money does not have to be a master. The way God has designed this is that we're supposed to love God and use money. When money becomes your master, what begins to happen is we begin to love money and try to use God to get more money. And Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Of all the things that he pitches against each other, If you take that verse out of context and you're new to Bible study and I were to say, finish this sentence, you can't serve both God and, you would think, the devil, pagan religion or something like that. And Jesus says, of all the things in the world, money is what is the biggest competitor for our time, attention, effort, affections. And in fact, in Greek, it gets translated money here. Literally in Greek, it's mammon, which just means like money and the stuff you can buy with it. Now, Can I just confess real quick? I hope this is a safe place. Don't tell anybody. I like some stuff. Anybody with me? There's just some stuff I like. Now, I typically don't like the stuff most of you like. Clothes, not a big deal, obviously. Gretchen dresses me head to toe. We walk into men's warehouse. She goes, here, wear this outfit. Baby, I don't wear outfits. I just wear clothes, okay? So... (laughs) I'm not really into that. I'm not into ha- my, I've got a great house. She picked it, her and the elders, whatever. That, that doesn't do it for me, all right? But you give me something in a camo, you let Realtree come out with a new edition. And I'm telling you, the good news for me is I can spend Buku's money on that stuff, but it doesn't all bl- look blingy. I just look like a high-tech redneck. That's me, all right? So, but we, we all have some stuff that we like. And I'm not really into cars and stuff ex- until this kind of got, got on me here this past month. My boy Kelly sitting up here with me on the front row. He's got, he's got this truck called a Raptor. You know what a Raptor is? A Raptor is, is, is it's like a, if an F-250 Dually and a Shelby Mustang had a baby Raptor. That's what this thing is. <laughs> and so my truck, I got a great truck. But my truck, the water pump went out, so I had to take it to the forward place to get a new water pump. And, uh, and I was trying to rent a truck, and Kelly's like, why don't you just take my truck? And so I was like, all right, that's cool. And I get in that thing, and you got to, like, get up in there. You know what I mean? And it's roomy and big, and I, and I turn that thing on, and I felt like a better man. <laughs> this is true. This is like, this is nice right here. Start riding around, I mean, just feeling like, wow. And then uh, the Ford place called and said, your truck's going to be done at 3, and you need to be here by 6 o'clock to pick it up. So I called Kelly and said, I don't think I can make you get the truck today. So uh, you think, <laughs> give it to you on Monday. So I rode around that thing like it was mine, man. Just oh, and put JP in it, take my man to football practice. He's like, Dad, what is this thing? I was like, it's a raptor, dude. He goes, this is zombie apocalypse approved right here, you know. We ride around. 
And sure enough, sure enough, I didn't even know I liked it until I got in it and drove around. Then finally, I gave it back to Kelly, you know, filled it up with gas, about $600 or something, and gave it back to him. <laughs> then I gave it back in my truck. I was like, why does my truck feel so little? Ying, ying, what's wrong with my, you know, put a bell on it. What happened? <laughs> Jesus says, be careful. See, because we all like some stuff. My favorite lie that we tell ourselves is, I just like nice things. You know, everybody thinks what they like is nice things. Everybody. Some people drink Cristal and some people drink Crystal Light. But everybody thinks, you know, I really like nice things. I can remember as a kid pulling up to my uncle's house and he's got the chain link fence with the, with the Christmas lights on them and still on and it's July. And I go, Daddy, why they got on the Christmas lights? He'd say, boy, you can't hide money. All right, so it's just <laughs> true. And when we do it, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is going, is anything wrong with stuff? No, 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 until you really start to love it. Be care- he's saying, be careful, be careful. Because, because trying to love God and money is like somebody getting out of a boat too slow. You ever go boating with people and they don't really know the whole get off the boat, onto the dock? It, you either in or you out. Like don't do the, you, the people just kind of go one foot on one and one foot on the other. And that dude starts going, uh-oh. <laughs> and it, I mean, you got to make a decision or it would tear you apart. This is what Jesus is saying. Be careful, be careful, be careful. You reach out and think you're grabbing on to the things of this world, and before you know it, it has a grip of you. Rich Mullins, one of my favorite Christian artists from like the 90s, he wrote a song, and and in the song he says this, the stuff of earth competes for the allegiance I owe only to the giver of all good things. And if we're not careful, the stuff of earth, a truck, competes for the allegiance that I owe only to the one that gave the gift of a truck. Be careful. C.S. Lewis says it this way. It wouldn't be a sermon without a Lewis quote. Prosperity knits a man to the world, and he feels that he's finding his place in it, while really it's finding its place in him. He keeps going. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. What you're going to eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll put on, is not life more than food in the body more than clothing. All of us would agree with that philosophically. We would. Theologically, we would. I mean, how many real housewife idiots do you have to watch or behind the musics to understand that cash and prizes don't bring life? And yet, if we're not careful, we will act as if they are our God. Listen, this term YOLO, you only live once, is dumb. You only live forever. So why would you waste your life on on the trivial things of this world why not make your life count for eternity and so then jesus in his brilliance because he's the master teacher he's gonna he's gonna give two illustrations that help us understand the two ditches that we fall into in regards to finances now again he's on this he's, he's preaching this on a mountain and he starts out this way look at the birds of the air so i think he was like look The birds of the air and everybody. And there's some birds and he's going to use the birds as an illustration. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Here's the first category. Some of us uh, err when it comes to money because we are extravagant savers. But we're not extravagant givers. And we think when more money comes in, I've got to put this away for a rainy day. Is there any problem with saving? Absolutely not. In fact, the Bible is very clear that we should be good stewards, that we should save, and that we should have an inheritance for our children's children. No doubt. But when we begin to save first, 
That's where the sin is. And here's why. Because we are looking for our security in that money instead of finding our security in our Heavenly Father. Nobody, and actually there's not a person in the room that thinks I'm talking to you right now. That's what's crazy. Everybody's like, yeah, I know a guy like that. Yeah, it's you. Listen, here's how you know. If multiple times a day you get on your app or you get on a website and you were looking for a number, a number in an account, and it does something to you on the inside, be careful. Be careful. Because what begins to happen is you're looking for security in a place that cannot provide it. And so, so they're savers and they're spenders. And at this point in the message, the spenders are like, you tell them, Jesus, they can't enjoy nothing. All they want to do is save for a rainy day, and it ain't rained since 08, okay? And they're like, ha-ha. And then Jesus says, okay, you spenders, hang in there. I've got something for you too. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? You see, people that are spenders, they don't think about how much they have. They think about how much they have left. And spenders think more is mine. And is there a problem with spending? Absolutely not. The problem is, is when you think spend first and give leftovers or when you think save first and give leftovers. Because the problem is, is when we try to spin our way into significance, Jesus says, be careful. Look at the lilies of the field. You see, they never one day thought about the shoes they needed to buy, and yet God has adorned them in, in a richer way than even King Solomon. Now, here's, here's just the crazy thing. So you got spenders and savers, right? Spenders and savers. And the savers first are looking for security in money, and the spenders first are looking for significance in money. And in God's divine comedy, so often, he lets those two people marry each other. <laughs> and both of them think the other one has a money problem. Why don't you just relax? Come on, supersize your fry, bro. It's going to be okay. And he's like, are you kidding? How many pairs of shoes do you need? You know, that kind of thing. And they both think, get them, God. They got a money problem. And God steps into both of them and says, no, no, no. Y'all got a me problem. Because you're just both looking first for your money to do something which it cannot do. He goes on, verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And when he says Gentile here, he doesn't mean non-Jewish. He says, with your checking account, with your bank account, you act like you don't even believe in God. Whether it's through saving or spending. But you act like you don't even believe in God. You see, here's something that's just true. There's a lot of people at all our locations, and you have an atheistic bank account. And if I were to say that to you, you'd be like, whoa, 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 hold on there, okay? I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? Okay, I get here early. I sit towards the front. I worship. I do the Pledge of Allegiance to Jesus. I bought the album. I know the words. I can sing the songs with my eyes closed. I'm in a disciple group. I do all of those things, which I would say, praise God. But when, when God has blessed you with finances, what are you doing with those first? And nothing will reveal your heart like your checkbook. And you go scrolling through that thing. What does it reveal? Do you have an atheistic bank account? 
Because really what you're doing is seeking security or seeking significance in the things of this world. And Jesus to that says, but seek first the kingdom of God. You see, let me ask you this. If you were God, would you give you more money based on what you have been doing with what God has already given you? I mean, I can tell you, I drive through the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A, you know, get those waffle fries. Boy, those things are good, aren't they? Especially right now, about this time of day. It's going to ruin you when you drive home. Everybody's going to want to pull in there and they close for Jesus. Mm. <laughs> By my kid, you know, JP's sitting over there and they're smelling good. And, you know, I'm trying to lose one. But I think, you know, I'm just going to get one. And I reach in there and he goes, don't get my fry. Whose fry? I am the giver of all good fries, my boy. All right? You understand? So basically, God gave you everything you have. Breath to breathe, woke you up this morning to every opportunity that you've ever had, the gifts, abilities, every dime that's come your way have come from God. And if you were God, would you give you more money based on what you have been doing with it? Because the Bible is very clear that, that, that riches are a blessing from God and they are for us to be generous and to enjoy. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the moment we think more is mine, if we are not prioritizing God in every aspect of our life, it may be because he is not before all things, but some things have crawled their way up to first place. And so Jesus says in response to this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. This is just true. He's talking about the tithe here, the first 10%. Tithe, there's just a Bible word that means 10%. Now, there's always some Bible nerd that comes up and wants to argue if if the tithe is an Old Testament or a New Testament concept. So the tithe is laid out in the Old Testament. The first 10% goes to God. But then Jesus comes not to do away with the law, the law but to fulfill the law. So in essence, anytime I've ever had a conversation about, with somebody about do we have to tithe or not, just be honest. If you're trying to talk yourself into keeping more for, me, for you, then that's just what you're doing. But I have good news. Jesus came to fulfill the law, so you are free to give much more than the tithe. Praise God. All right? So... But I want you, just for the sake of the rest of the message, so you don't weird out on me, I just want you to think about not, not so much the amount, but I want you to think about what's first. Because something gets your first. Something gets your first. Something gets your best. And a lot of times, we are, we are investing our first and our best in a thing that cannot provide what only God can provide. And that is your security and that is your significance. And so Jesus says, so seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you all what things does that include financial things yes you might want to write this down in Greek the word all means all and so a part of that is the financial blessing let me tell you two supernatural blessings of God that are guaranteed to every single person that brings their first fruit tithe to the Lord number one Everybody lives on a percentage of their income. Everybody. And if you learn to live on, on less than you make, you will always have enough. You will always have enough. Right now in America, it seems like the average American lives on about 108% of their income. You can't do that for very long. And if everybody does that for a while, the whole thing caves in. Remember 08, 09? Remember that? And so that's a part of it. Not only that, you know what else is a part of it? Is that when we put Jesus before all things, we learn the secret of being content in every situation. And the secret is not more stuff. The secret is that our Savior Jesus is more than enough in every situation, in every single situation. And so we bring him our first and we bring him our 
best. And the problem, and does that include financial blessing? Yes and amen. But the heresy of the, of the prosperity gospel is this. The prosperity gospel is, by the way, the gospel needs no adjective. The prosperity gospel is, if I give God this, then he owes me that. In that equation, who's first? I'm first. I'm initiating. I'm putting God into my debt. And that is, that is heresy from the depths of hell. You see, we bring back to God, not because of us or to try to get him to give us anything. We bring back to God, and the reason is because he is first, and he went first, and he loves first. So how do you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you? You seek him first by first fruit giving, that we give first and best, first and best. You see, first fruit giving is the only way that you can give by faith. You can give Whatever kind of percent, if you've got a sharp pencil and a calculator, but God does not do leftovers. God does not say, hey, just make sure you take care of you and yours first, and then if you have anything left over, if you could tip me on the way out, that'd be great. Why? Because God is first, and God went first, and God loves first. And so what we are called to do is to give first by faith. The first offering recorded in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 4, and check it out. It says this, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. So in the course of time, not first, he brings an offering of fruit from the ground. In other words, he took his entire harvest in, he checked to see what he had, and he had some leftovers, and he brought leftovers to God. And Abel, also, that was his brother, brought of the firstborn of his flock. And of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So why did God accept Abel's offering and not Cain's offering? Is it just that God likes meat better than vegetables? Well, who doesn't? But that's not the point. (laughs) It comes down not just first in order, but first in priority. To put it in our day, it would be like this. To put it in our day, uh, Abel... Abel got paid on commission. He had no idea how much more was coming. And so what he did not do is he did not wait until he had 10 lambs and give the 10th one because God's not 10th in his life. He said the first one goes to the Lord because he is first. That's how we, that's how we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things are added unto us. And so I want to be very clear. Grab your, grab your booklet and go to the back and there is a card there. There's a card here. At the end of the service today, I just want you praying. Do not turn this in. I just want you praying. And there's a few different categories I want to go over here in just a second. And I, and I want to talk to you. If you're not a Christian, I'm really not talking to you. If you're not a Christian, I want you to look at this and think, these people are crazy. They would give their money to God? Yes. That's how into this thing we are. Okay? We believe he gave everything. And so we would bring back a portion and that he gives everything to us. And also, right now, man, if you're just pushing back like crazy, you know, you got, your, you got your arms crossed and you're like, I hate when church talks about money. There are some of you here and you've been beaten up by another church. You've been beaten up by another church. I want you to be generous. I'm more concerned about your discipleship than I am our budget. 
Now, I'm really into what God is calling our church to do, and next week we're going to roll through the, the things God is calling us to do. But I would rather you be generous to the things of God to unleash God in your finances as opposed to you being in charge of them. So I give you permission. In fact, I, I, I beg you and I implore you. If you don't trust us yet, you don't trust me yet, you don't trust the leadership of this church yet, no problem. Hang out here long enough, and I believe that God draws your heart to us and trust. He'll steer your giving. In the meantime, just pick some gospel-centered organization and be, be generous. Billy Graham organization, it's been around forever, a whole lot of character. Or you can support some of my friends' churches. Uh, Pastor Boyd Bettis at the district church. They meet at Lee High School. It's a couple hundred people. What, just write your check and send it to them. The good news is you don't even know what they're doing, so you can't get ticked off if they don't do it the way you like, okay? No problem. Or the Crossing Church down in St. John's County. Uh, fuel and fund what God is doing there. I, need, I want generosity for you, not from you. God, God is not in financial need. And then there's some of you, and you, you're real defensive right now, okay? And here's what I just want to ask you to do. I want you to take this card home with you, and I want you to go before the Lord and legitimately pray, God, search me and know my heart. See if there be any wayward thoughts in here. In other words, God, what is going on in here? Why, why the defensiveness? Is it really an idol in my life? Am I really just talking myself out of generosity? Because you cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ and not be radically generous. He did not tithe his blood on the cross. He poured it all out. And so, a year ago, a whole bunch of us gathered together and made a two-year commitment. Some of you are brand new. Or you just got here last year, you weren't quite ready, but you are ready now. In two weeks, we're going to have a commitment Sunday, and you would be up here on that top line. You would go and say, Lord... What does it look like financially for you to be before all things and you're going to make a 12-month commitment? Next week, we'll talk about what God is, is using all those resources for. The second group will be those of us that made commitments and some of us are behind and some of us need to catch up or keep up, but whatever you do, you keep your chin up because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is not about your activity. It is about his activity on the cross that changes your identity. But we still want 100% of our people to say, Jesus, what does it look like for you to be before all things? And then, honestly, there are hundreds if not thousands of people, and God has either grown your finances or grown your faith. Praise God. And you know that for him to be before all things, that you need to take a deeper step into generosity. I need you praying for this like crazy, praying about what the Spirit is going to lead you to do. And hear this. I don't want you to act generous for a season in response to a sermon. I want you to be generous in response to the gospel. Listen, this is, I feel like, this is very dangerous. I feel like I could talk a crowd of people into doing almost anything for a minute. Okay, Gretchen calls it the Jedi mind trick. She's like, how do you do it? Like, go on a mission trip. And then everybody does, okay? So that is not what this thing is about because it ain't about me and it's not about your temporary response. The goal here is not to have people respond by an act of generosity to a sermon. But the goal is, is discipleship on the inside. That God makes us generous people in response to the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says it this way, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Here's the point. That we bring to God our first and our best, because he first loved us by giving us his best in Christ Jesus. And I am praying that we are a generous church. I used to say, you got to give till it hurts. I actually don't think that's very biblical. I think you got to give till it feels good. 
Because that's when you begin to understand that, that God is using us to expand his kingdom. Because if you think like, oh, I've really got to sacrifice. I mean, think about the things that we're sacrificing to sow into his kingdom. I mean, it's usually you're sacrificing like three meals at Chili's. And if you put heartburn and nachos versus salvation of people, and you're like, I don't know, then I don't think the gospel has fully penetrated our lives. And so I want to be the kind of people that gives until it feels good, and I have a confession to make. That I learned this late in my walk with the Lord. I loved Jesus. I was glad he was going to take me to heaven when I died and all of those things. I knew my Bible pretty well. And yet, my financial life, when I moved to, to Jacksonville in 03, was all jacked up and all upside down. And there were two things, there's two things that have happened in my world that just changed everything about my perspective. And it boils down to the title that we most often use when we talk about Jesus, our Lord and Savior. In regards to lordship, in Matthew chapter 26, it says this, And it was evening, and Jesus reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful, and they began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Eleven times they say, Is it I, Lord? And when they called him Lord, they were saying, You are preeminent, you are first. You're the boss, we're not the boss. We don't tell you what to do. We don't even tell us what to do. You have that role. Is it I, Lord? And then when you get down to verse 25, it says, Judas, who would betray him, answered him. Is it I, Rabbi? And I'd realized in my own faith, in my own walk with Jesus, it was like in most areas of my life, I called Jesus Lord. But when it came to finances, he was just a rabbi. Some good advice that I would try to apply if and when I wanted to. It was almost like when I got baptized, I held my wallet up out of the water and said, no, nah, hold on to this. Is he your Lord or is he a rabbi? Secondly, it was about him being my savior. In, in the book of Exodus chapter 13, it says, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast is mine. The first is his because he's first. And you shall set apart to the Lord all the first that opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with the lamb. It's the principle of preeminence. A donkey is born unclean, and so you sacrifice the clean lamb to redeem the unclean donkey. You and I were born unclean, and it's the sacrifice of God's holy lamb, Jesus, to redeem us. The principle of preeminence is not about money. It's about, about who God is. And then in verse 14, it says, And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. When I began to understand the principle of preeminence was rooted in the character and nature of God, we began to, we adjusted all of our finances and we brought our first and our best to God because I wanted to know what God could do with less than what I could do with more. And so the way we did it, at one of the giving kiosks here, we've got them in every location. At the end of the service, what we do in my family is the first money that comes out of our account on the first day of the week go to God because there is first fruit blessing in that. Now, I'm not so superstitious to think if Gretchen gets a Starbucks on the way here, she jacks it all up. Although we do have free coffee here, so that's more of a counseling conversation than a preaching. So, so that's what we do. First, the first thing that comes out of our account is we bring to God our first and our best because he first loved us by giving us his best in Jesus. And so... This was three years ago, and uh, JP was eight years old, and he's running around after our service with me. And I've told you this before, I'm telling it every year, okay? 
And, and we were at the kiosk. The kiosk is about like eight-year-old height. He's eyeball to eyeball with it. Normally he doesn't pay attention that day he's dialed in. And so I put in the number and I, I put in our phone number or whatever and, you know, our name comes up and I click it. And, and then I type in the number that we bring weekly. And for some of you, it'd be chump change. God bless your ministry. Be generous. For us, it's a stretch. What, 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 what we bring back to God changes everything else about our life, where we live, what we drive, all of that. And so I type in the number and he looks at me he looks at the number and he goes, Dad, why do we give so much money to the church? I was like, first off, Scooter, you don't give jack. You understand? <laughs> this is me and your mama. You're just under the blessing, okay? Uh, in fact, you cost me a bunch of money. You should probably start paying rent. So, And then he says, so why do we do this? And when he said that, this is when I thought, and when in time to come, your son asks, what does this mean? So I took off my backpack. I got eyeball to eyeball with my eight-year-old. I said, son, look here. The dad that you know was not always that same man. For a long time, I was, in essence, a slave to my own sin. I did what I wanted with who I wanted, when I wanted, at great expense to other people and for my own benefit. And I would lie and cheat and steal, and I wanted the whole world to revolve around me, and I got in bad, bad trouble, buddy. And at just the right time, by the mighty right hand of God, he reached down, not by anything that I had done, but he demonstrated his love for me in this, that while I was still a sinner, that Christ died for me, and he changed my life, JP, and he saved my life. And so, therefore, we will always bring our first and best to God because he first loved us by giving us his best in Jesus Christ. And every single time we sow in a dollar to the ministry of this church, you know what God does? God takes that same gospel that saved me and saved you, and he goes out and he shares that same gospel with a bunch of other daddies and sons and daughters that need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And JP looked at me and said, I'm glad you're my dad. I'm glad you're my dad. You see, when we bring our first and our best back to God, it is not about me. What we are saying is, I'm glad you're my dad. Here you go. You have blessed me with everything I have. Most of all, my own salvation. And so I want to bring you what's first and I want to bring you what is best because you first loved me by giving me your best in Jesus Christ. That church is the principle of preeminence. Would you pray with me? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we love you because you love us first. And Lord, we say that all the time, but God, I thank you that it is absolutely true. Holy Spirit, I pray in the way that only you could do at every location, Lord, you would comfort the folks that are hearing this message and maybe they have a hard time trusting because of their past. God, I pray that they would trust you, our Heavenly Father, that you're a good dad and you love to give good gifts to your kids. And God, for those that have, have stepped into a place of just comfort, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would stir us up, that 100% of our church would declare that you and you alone are before all things. Not because you owe us anything and we could never put you in our debt. And so God, we bring, not just financially, in every aspect of our life, may we bring our first and our best because you first loved us by giving us your best in Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.